The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to our third 15 and 60 of the year. Back on the Western Conference this week. And we're going to start with the 11 and 5 Utah Jazz. They sit at a hearty 7-2 since we last checked in on them. Their 4.4 net rating is 11th in the NBA. A disappointing 22nd in offense, but a very strong second in defense. The thought was that maybe they would fall off this year uh, with not quite as much defensive personnel. In fact, they have maintained that number two ranking despite losing Ed Davis and obviously Derek Favors uh, and Jay Crowder from last year. Rudy Gobert has been awesome defensively and uh, as part of that they are projected to win 51 games by our friends at 538 and have a 94 percent chance of making the playoffs latest health news for gobert is not great he's questionable with an ankle sprain they were able to win without him last night at home against new orleans tony bradley got the start he had actually been out of the rotation with jeff green getting the backup center minutes after they really had struggled with bradley in that role once davis had gone out but he held up well enough yesterday what has stood out to them about you danny overall before i talk about their game uh, last week against minnesota that i took some notes on well i think the the big takeaway and this is part of the the strength that i'm guessing the 538 models are seeing in some other things is that their core group even with the Connolly struggles which have been well documented to this point in the early going of the season their core group has done really well so Connolly, mitchell boyan bogdanovich rudy gobert and any fifth player mainly Royce O'Neal, but there have been other guys in that mix. They have a plus 17.5 net rating with fueled by a 100 even defensive rating, which is absolutely fantastic. And then 175 offenses is quite good as well. And that is really the idea. You know, if those guys, when you when you put another thing around, if they can defend really well and score at that level, then it's more, you know, at least in the regular season, then it is more about figuring out the bench and, you know, getting a lot of these pieces together. But I think that the, the, the theory of that starting lineup is stronger than honestly I anticipated because I thought they would be a lot weaker defensively than they've looked so far. Yeah, and Royce O'Neal has done a really good job for them. He's shooting quite well for this year. Doesn't get a lot of shots. That's something that came up in the Minnesota game that we'll talk about a bit more. What else you got on them? Well, something that we both wanted to look into was the shot mix for the for the Jazz so far. And for me, part of what inspired this is a stat uh, that Cleaning the Glass has now, which the, the way that they're describing it is location effective field goal percentage. So basically what the idea is, is if you if a team was league average in all the areas and shot with the frequency they actually shoot, what would their success rate be? And so it, it works as an overall measure of shot quality. Sure, there are plenty of things that it doesn't consider, you know, like the quality of the shooter 
computer and all that kind of stuff. And if you want to get into that, there are ways now with metrics of, of doing it. But it is kind of a good rough estimate of what kind of shots is a team getting. And as of Saturday morning, the Jazz were 17th in that measure of shot quality, and they were 18th in actual field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, so so broadly in line. And significantly, most of the playoff teams in that measure that are, are ahead of them, not behind them, you know, there are a few that, that struggled. The Nuggets, most notably, have really had some challenge, challenge with that metric, but some of the other teams are, are right in their range. And a big reason why is because the Jazz are low in threes, they're, they were 20th in three-point frequency, and they're uh, high in floaters. 22.8% of their shots so far this season have come in floater range. Yeah, and last year, they were so good at, at that. They were the analytically driven team. The whole idea was they're going to get all these same shots, and now they're just going to make them uh, because they have Mike Conley at point guard instead of Ricky Rubio, and they got Boyan Bogdanovich, and Bogdanovich has held up his end of the bargain, although he's been perhaps a more versatile scorer, a higher usage guy even than anticipated. He's got the highest usage rate of his career uh, by quite a bit. He's in the 26-27 range. He was down around 22 or so uh, throughout most of his career, sometimes, some years even well below that. Despite the fact that Mitchell is taking a fair amount of floaters, that's always been part of Conley's game as well. Those are your two chief culprits in terms of the mid-range stuff. Mitchell, for example, is actually hitting better than league average from all of the spots on the floor, but his problem is his shot mix is so bad that he is actually a little bit below average in efficiency now after a really hot start that was unsustainable due to some hot jump shooting. But their bench has just sucked. Yeah, I mean, there are different ways to calibrate it for different teams, but when Donovan Mitchell has been off the floor, they have a 97.4 offensive rating, which is just horrendous. But it's important to note, and this is again why how you calibrate bench, Conley's been on the floor for a majority of that time. So they just, they just haven't haven't had offense. Some of the some of the offensive ratings for bench guys, Ed Davis, small sample size, 89.4. Manuel Moutier, 100.2. Ingles, 101.8. Tony Bradley, 95 flush. It's just terrible. Like those, the, the, the bench hasn't been able to score. And even though those lineups have, have done pretty well defensively, like for example, Moutier, Ingles and Davis all have positive net ratings despite those horrendous offensive numbers. So I, I think that's that's a big a big problem here, and it was something that you and I have been critical of of with the Jazz, you know. And and getting XM healthier will hopefully hopefully help with some of that. But yeah, remember, I don't, see, I don't see how that helps their offense at all. Well, I mean, it just gives them another potential playmaking option, and who could make their defense better than but maybe maybe they, they might actually like get something in transition. Exactly, this group. I mean, Moutier is kind of not really that quick yep. anymore. More. Well, and then so. the other thing I wanted to talk briefly about that I thought was interesting is looking kind of broadly at the the differences in four factors between this year and last year. So the one that is the least surprising is that there's a big drop off in offensive rebound rate. They, you know, yes, they have Ed Davis now, but Ed Davis is not starting and now he's unavailable and Derek Favors is, is out of the lineup because he's now in New Orleans. So they went from being 12th in offensive rebounds all the way down to 26th. And then also they, uh, they, they I thought it might lead to a change in free throw rate. It has not they've actually improved their free throw rate this year but what's dragging their offense down why they're 21st instead of 14th as last year is the shot the shots that we were just talking about before and also that they're turning the ball over more they're they've gone from a 15 percent turnover rate to 16 percent while that doesn't sound like a lot that's one percent of your possessions that are going absolutely nowhere you're not even getting a shot up and then the drop in effective field goal percentage is 
you know, it's driven by non-threes because they're shooting 38% from there. The mix is a part of it. And then they're shooting 33% on floaters and 63% on the rim, both of which are worse than last year. Transition now to their game against the Wolves. Still talk a little bit about the Jazz here, but the Wolves are 8-8, eight and eight, had a disappointing loss at home to Phoenix, uh, playing without Rubio and Baines, who have been essential for them, as we'll talk about a little bit later on. Four and six in their last 10, still a slightly positive net rating although that is only 19th in the NBA as 0.3 net rating because the bad teams have been so bad. 19th in offense and 14th in defense, which is really pretty surprising. And then in terms of their playoff odds, projected at 44 and 38, 61% chance at making the playoffs. Incidentally, the other teams projected as having above an 11% chance. The Thunder, Suns, and Pelicans are in 538's mind the four teams fighting for that last spot kings even at seven and eight only given an 11 percent chance in part because they are pretty bad on the net rating scale even though they're playing better and the blazers uh, obviously at five and 12 now uh 538 does not particularly like their chances spurs predicted have the worst record in the west by the way but i'm uh, going a little bit far afield uh, as i tend to do at times the wolves have a bunch of guys out right now uh robert covington missed time over the weekend due to personal reasons part of the reason that they lost on saturday was trevion graham josh akogi and jake layman were also out they've been having to rely on kaylin martin who's been starting some games with them. he actually shot it well in the fourth quarter against the jazz but overall he's at 18 percent from three in his six games on the year he's a, a two-way guy a couple more jazz notes from that game i had noted that in our first look at the jazz that mike conley wasn't running that much off of screens the way he did in memphis they did run one play for him to do that early on the wolves were laying back with carl anthony towns right at the rim that of course was playing into this jazz mid-range obsession uh with mitchell who again has been pretty decent from mid-range conley kind of you know i felt like he was missing a lot of passes i talked with john hollinger today on the hollinger and duncan podcast which you can subscribe to by searching hollinger and and we talked about conley briefly he noted that gasol and gobert are just such different pick and roll partners especially since conley has had gasol as his pick and roll guy for basically the entire of his tenure as a starter and he, he's starting to play a little bit better you know his efficiency is not horrific anymore 51 percent true shooting uh, and i thought in the second half he did a better job of getting into the paint and setting up shooters as the jazz went on a, a clinching run in the fourth quarter hitting a bunch of threes in this game also it was i don't know what they've done in their last couple of games they didn't watch those but it was neither conley nor mitchell out there for a fair amount of the time i think part of the reason for that is as you mentioned you know those lineups with conley and no mitchell weren't scoring anyway and moutier is not a good partner for mitchell because he can't shoot and i think that they want to just have more space around mitchell this year that's part of why he's been able to be a little bit more effective another thing that stood out is that joe ingles just is not getting the same spot up opportunities that he got in the past he's working a lot more as a primary ball handler on the second unit and when he is getting the ball out by the three-point line a lot of times it's coming off of a screen to get a dho where he's just not really in position to shoot he's not that kind of versatile jump shot shooter who's going to shoot it on the move and so not getting as many corner threes he's obviously shooting it incredibly poorly from downtown 
I thought that in particular, Utah is missing chances, at least in this game, to set up Royce O'Neal, who, as we mentioned, is shooting it pretty well. He's at 50% from three, but only 2.2 attempts per game. And he's also a reasonably effective driver when he gets knocked off the line. He was still the guy that the Wolves were helping off of because your other option on the wing there is Bogdanovich. Uh, but I thought the, the Jazz were just missing him a lot of times. Now, the Wolves have Robert Covington, and he's an excellent help defender. When Kogi is in there, he's really good at that too. So those openings aren't always as obvious as they would be against other teams. This was a defensive player of the year type of game for Rudy Gobert. Carl Towns got in foul trouble early. He was held to only two shots in 13 minutes in the first half. And then Gobert really did an amazing job of taking away the three-pointer. When the Wolves beat the Jazz the preceding Monday, Towns got up 15 three-point attempts. And as we'll get to, the versatility of his three-point shot is just off the charts right now. I mean, we've never seen a big man who can shoot like this, even like Porzingis or Dirk from the three-point line. I think he is a level beyond that. But Gobert was all over him. He still was able to get back and deny at the rim. He had a couple of great blocks uh, on Jerk Culver. I think it ended up being five and all in the game. The Jazz even defended a 5-1 pick and roll perfectly. They switched it and then... When Towns tried to post up, they were able to switch back before that. Interesting that the Wolves basically didn't try Towns in the post against Gobert at all. It was really all three-point shots for Towns and and looks to try to get him three-point shots. Um, Can shift now to the Wolves. Did did you have any uh, observations on them lately before we... uh, get into what i saw from them in this game against the jazz well i think that watching them at a few different moments you could really see how and this came up with phoenix too how absences at a kind of in different points of the rotation just really had these cascading effects just because they had to put different players in different spots and that created real challenges i think having napier out especially because a portion of that time jeff teague was out too i think that that really made it a challenge that's part of the four and six since the last time we did them in a 15 and 60 and also just you know the duplicative injuries right are it, it not absences let's say because Covington is an injury um having those guys out and now Jake Lehman having that toe sprain I think that that just it just makes it a lot harder to keep your head above water especially when you're playing good teams yeah and they had to play Keita Bates Jop or Diop I think they, people say Diop for him uh Keita Bates Diop 37 minutes off the bench against Phoenix and he basically has like not played any rotation minutes on a team that desperately needed wings uh, up until now with all those guys uh, that were out Wiggins has been back uh the couple games that he's had have kind of been more old Wiggins in terms of the efficiency level he just didn't take as many mid-range he's one of 10 from three in this game against the Jazz and the Jazz obviously are a good defensive team he did get I, I I thought he started off really aggressive. Remember, he had had time away from the team uh, due to the death of his grandmother and then uh, had missed the game in Utah that Minnesota actually won uh, due to illness. But in the first quarter, he was really, really aggressive. They got him down in the post, and the Jazz did not have any answers for that, especially because they had just given up 7 of 15 three point shooting to Towns the previous game. So Gobert was clearly worried about sticking to him. I don't know why they went away from that from Wiggins. I think that he really should just get all the post ups that he can handle. He's always been really good at that. Maybe he just doesn't want to work for it. But uh, as much as you can give that to him, I would say go for it. Uh, I think he was, Wiggins was less aggressive late. He did get a couple of dunks early in the third when, again, Gobert was kind of sticking to Towns. Uh, one of the things that really stuck out to me in this game is that I think the Wolves defense actually is like pretty darn good, you know, and Covington makes such a difference. And you wonder maybe, you know, how is that? Because 
as we've seen for example in the playoffs a couple years ago he's not this like lockdown guy in the perimeter and in fact uh Boyan Bogdanovich had a great game in this one partially at his expense although it was more Wiggins who was guarding him but Covington is just a master at when to help and he just he's able to dig in like he got a, a shot block coming off the strong side corner which you're not usually supposed to do but he just has a, a great feel for it uh and I think one of the things that really is solidifying more and more to me with each passing year is how important it is to get some help defense from your wings whether that's plugging on the roll man off the ball or digging down on drivers making them pick up their dribble a little bit earlier than they want to on drives so they can't get all the way to the rim getting out to help and then closing out on shooters and you know that's what someone like Andrew Wiggins just is really bad at and Brandon Ingram for example has been really bad at uh, until this year he's been a little better but still not great whereas someone like Covington or Andre Guadalla or those guys you know do that stuff effortlessly and it just makes all the difference for a guy like Towns who's pretty limited as a defensive player but he can hang back by the rim a lot more if he's got guys crashing in from the wing to the to the nail for help and not just letting guys up like theoretically you're guarding the pick and roll two on two in those situations but you're getting enough there that the ball handler doesn't just have a controlled environment to work on two on two he can't just go wherever he wants on the floor uh, there's going to be help variables are going to be brought into it uh something else that was notable about this game is Jared Culver, rookie, sixth overall pick for the Minnesota Timberwolves, going against a, a dominant rim protector, and I do not think it looked good for him, at least in this one. No, he got his shot blocked a couple of times by Gobert, and then it was kind of driving in and wasn't really able to be aggressive and drive and kick because it was just Gobert like, all right, hey, you want to shoot it? <laughs> Go ahead, pal. Uh, and he did not do it. Culver struggled to four of 14. He's shooting 28% for three. Every once in a while, he'll uncork one that looks pretty good from three but overall the numbers haven't been there when he shoots more of a set shot it seems to look a little bit better when he shoots the jump shot like he did in college it's not as good he's 37 percent overall from the field and they're just they're fiending for anyone who can do anything on the wing Travion Graham bless his heart love the way he competes 18 percent from three Covington just isn't getting the shots because he's the guy that they're not leaving Jeff Teague otherwise having a very nice season uh, he's in the top five in the league and assists 27 percent from three uh even Wiggins despite playing a little bit better 33 percent for three and they just don't have anyone other than Covington that really concerns you a Kogi 21 percent from three I mean the fact that Carl Anthony Towns is shooting 9.13 pointers a game at 45 percent is really what's helping to keep their outside game afloat and then opens up the driving lanes for these guys like Wiggins and Akogi in particular, Akogi had some nice drives in this game. Towns, I mentioned the level of shot creation that he has from three-point range. It's absolutely insane. I mean, he had a couple of plays where he got a rebound, pushed the ball up floor on the right wing, and then, I mean, this is a, a seven-foot center being guarded by a center, pushed it up like he was going to drive, pretty high rate of speed, and then goes into a step-back. Not only a step-back, but a step-back to his right. Like, James Harden doesn't shoot step-backs to his right. Luka Doncic barely shoots step-backs to his right. Carl Anthony Towns, no problem shooting a step-back to his right. He made two of those. He came off a screen late in the game and shot a 30-foot three-pointer from well above the top of the key. 
and made it he at one point tried to face up on rudy gobert and go behind his back into a three-pointer gobert to his credit actually guarded him so closely he couldn't do it but we just we've never seen anything like this from a guy his size the versatility of this jump shot and then against most teams apparently not against gobert if you put someone small enough on him where he is going to not be able to get those shots then he can get down in the post the problem though is against good teams especially because the wolves are so limited on the wing with a lot of these lineups it's kind of easy to kick out and switch and double team in the post he really has much more of the advantage on the perimeter right now and they just have so little shooting that if you even if they're happy to front and then bring help so you can't lob it in or if he does actually successfully enter the ball that you're going to double team and you're kicking it out to you know a 25 percent three-point shooter so uh it's kind of a bummer again that carl towns is the shooting instead of benefiting from the shooting on this team despite the fact that they now have a real four man in covington at least uh, as far as being able to stretch the floor because they get absolutely no shooting from their one through three positions but uh that's what it's going to be and at least they are getting some defense from those one through three positions now to where you know they're looking like a pretty average team and maybe if they can get napier back and just get a little bit healthier maybe layman can give them some shooting we'll see that offense uh, tick up just enough to where and the defense maintained to where this would be a solid playoff type of team especially in what is now a diminished western conference wow that was a long time on the jazz and wolves huh let's uh let's do a read here with the weather getting a little bit cooler out here in california yes i know my east coast listeners are not interested in hearing me complain about the fact uh, that it's down to about 50 55 degrees outside and i'm not really complaining anyway i'm just noting it uh i have this gym that i built in my shed and it's not heated so i've been breaking out uh, my roan premium active wear got a nice long sleeve workout shirt i got a, a half zip that also has those little holes for you to put your thumbs through uh, when you go running which is nice it's just the highest quality active wear that i have encountered so far wore some of their stuff when i went on my flight to japan very comfortable this is your new go-to men's clothing brand if you really want stuff that is going to last that's going to be really premium active wear roan like the roan river that's actually what it's named for is going to make something perfect for the occasion they've got top rated training gear and they also engineer this clothing that blends great office style with the comfort of sweatpants they've got this commuter collection which is perfect for looking great and staying comfortable at the office thankfully i don't have to go to the office but if you do you could be just as comfortable at the office as i am at home here in my sweats that commuter collection offers everything from pants and dress shirts to polos and vests their stuff is lightweight control wrinkle free i know uh when i was going to work every day wrinkle free was very very important to me so the way to get started with them is roan r-h-o-n-e roan.com slash cap space easy to remember because we talk about cap space all the time here on the program and then then you can enter the promo code cap space once you get to that url for 20 percent off your first purchase make it a big one because that 20 percent will be a huge discount roan.com slash cap space and enter that promo code cap space for 20 percent off and of course that cap space code lets them know that you came from us all right the san antonio spurs danny yikes yes where are they right now they are six and eleven two and eight since the last 15 and 60 their negative 2.6 net rating is 19th in the nba they're seventh in offense 26th in defense and 538's model aggressively 
is down on the Spurs, thinks they will finish with 25 wins, which is dead last in the West and gives them a less than 1% chance of making the playoffs. What do you think about these guys so far? I have trouble, you know, it, it, there is part of the Spurs formula that is similar in that, you know, it's like one of the things that's telling for me is Patty Mills, you know, when he's on the floor, that's a good proxy for the bench unit. Spurs are outscoring opponents by 9.1 points per hundred. That was... Yeah, it's been so egregious that they've actually tried starting him a play. Pop yeah. has basically tried starting just about everybody that he can at, at one point or another. Yeah, so the splits right now, and again, this is this is using Patty Mills as a proxy, not Patty Mills being himself, uh, being the key to this. Plus 9.1 when he's on the floor, negative 13.4 net rating when he is off. And that really gets to what I think is is the current problem with the Spurs. There's, a, there's an interesting piece by uh, Bruce no pasos of pounding the rock which was actually before some of their recent struggles i think it was on monday of last week that i saw it and he talked about the idea that there are a couple different crossroads at the same point and he was using the past and the future and the present as, as a part of that, which I agree with, you know, DeRozan and, and Aldridge versus everything else. But I think another part of it is trying to integrate DeJounte Murray into all of this creates problems because they were this really crazy balance last year. And I mean, it was, it was, we were, they were defying basketball, modern basketball orthodoxy pretty constantly last year. And there's a part of that that probably would have regressed to the mean anyway, just because it was kind of crazy. They have like the league's worst shot mix and then we're one of the least most effective offenses. But adding somebody like DeJounte and all the other stuff that's been going on, it's created these lineups that don't really have the same theories of success. And so even though their bench is doing it, like, I mean, they're starting five, Forbes, Murray, DeRozan, Lyles, and Aldridge. That was their intended, you know, intended starting five. They have a negative 11-3 net rating. And that's a little bit worse than I would have expected, but I don't see the like path to success, to thrive, to dominate of that group of five people that you're choosing to start and thus your most frequent five yeah as far as what level of trouble that they're in obviously 538 thinks they're done they weren't too high on them to begin with i was not too high on them as you'll recall last year they struggled they were sitting at 11 and 14 or they had basically like i want to say it was like four or five games were 30 point blowouts in december and then all of a sudden they went crazy and had like the best net rating at for a month and their offense totally took off and their defense got to be passable again my prediction this year was that with murray re-entering the fold they would be better defensively and worse offensively and they're slightly worse offensively at least relative to the rest of the league but they've been much worse defensively and i think what it really comes down to is that they just have too many guys that you don't feel at all, you know, defensively. And Zach Lowe and Doris Burke were talking about this a little bit on Zach's pod. But playing DeRozan at the three, we've been talking about this going back to, I mean, we've been talking about it since going back to the Toronto days, but in the context of the Spurs in particular, in that Denver series where you couldn't play him at the one or the two. And this is even before Murray came back, right? Because now, you know, you need another real plus shooter on the floor with DeRozan and Murray because neither of them takes three pointers but even back last year when Murray was injured DeRozan had to play the three because he needed to guard like a Tory Craig he couldn't guard Gary Harris or Jamal Murray sprinting out of the corner off DHOs with Nikola Jokic so he had to play him at the three and now he is was overwhelmed already at the two he doesn't provide any help defense he doesn't shoot the ball and so you know with Murray back he, he's a little bit more of an off-ball guy the crazy thing is, is that DeRozan's numbers personally are quite good he's shooting 53 percent from the field overall on pace for a massive career high in true shooting 59 percent. now he still doesn't take any threes at all he's getting to the foul 
line more than he did the last couple of years always been a, a strength of his but because of all these fit issues on both ends they just aren't any good with him on the floor i mean he is maybe the ultimate example you know he's kind of like the uh, modern day adrian dantley where his i mean he's never been as efficient as adrian dantley but you know he's not necessarily driving incredibly efficient offense himself and then defensively you have all these fit problems then you know they lost bertans as well so that's your spacing on the second unit aldridge hasn't been as good defensively this year you can't play pertle and aldridge and murray and derozan together that you know that's probably their only chance of getting some defense is to play aldridge and pertle together and like barricade the rim they're giving up 68 percent shooting at the rim so yeah it looks ugly now we we're saying the same type of stuff last year and they got out of it they're a lot further under 500 already now and it's earlier in the season than they were before do you think they are done no i don't think they're done yet i mean there are a bunch of examples you could talk about like the miami the miami one is the most extreme the 11 and 30 and then 30 and 11 but san antonio uh, there are a couple things that concern me one they've been largely healthy i mean Derek white missed a couple of games yep. probably the healthiest team in the league yeah so, they hadn't far, missed I mean, a single game yeah. due to injury before Derek white i think he missed two yeah and but he murray returned. has had some load management yeah murray's had some problems. load management we're talking due to injury and i guess you yeah. could argue that and uh white played 25 minutes in their win over the knicks not not a stirring win but a win nonetheless uh but part of what concerns me about it is that theory of the starting lineup and well the like the one really big unplayed card so far other than maybe starting patty mills is that we haven't seen murray and white together at all yet that would probably have to come with demar Derozan being reduced in in, in his spot at least to an extent because you can't play those three guys together at least not in in, in a starting five and maybe then it's well, just if like you had davis bertans maybe yeah maybe if you had davis you know, bertans trey and, lyles is out of the rotation now he is he was uh a poor bertans facsimile and a poor marcus uh, morris facsimile too by the way yeah absolutely and so that you know maybe it supercharges but again perimeter guys don't usually supercharge your defense in that in that like in that respect you know you need a little bit more on in the interior and everything else so i'm not going to say they're done yet especially because the bottom of the you know the bottom of the west playoff picture seems weaker than maybe we anticipated with the fall of the warriors and you know the blazers having the start that they've had we'll talk about them soon enough but I to me they don't look like an above 500 team like I mean the the challenge of it let's use 500 which it's been higher than that recently in order to be a 500 team they have to play five games over 500 the rest of the way and I don't see you know you could see it for a stretch and all that but if I were to say the overall quality of them I would say it's below that and it's not helped also by San Antonio having the the toughest remaining schedule in the league it's not ridiculously tougher than everybody else but that's also reflecting that they played a pretty soft schedule so far and have not impressed against it so I would say it's more likely than not that they make the playoffs. I also think it's significant. Their playoff odds should be like in my brain, they're significantly higher than the less than one percent five thirty eight gives them. But you know, it's it's not like it's getting close to like forty. I'd say it's probably more in the like twenty to twenty five range, just because I give so much respect to Pop. The other thing that I think nobody has talked about with this team, and maybe we can hit on this a little bit more at some other point. But stop forget they lost two really good assistant coaches. Ime Udoka and Atari Messina are gone. Tim Duncan is you know certainly is a legendary player and a great leader but this is his first time coaching becky and when pop got ejected i guess duncan was the coach seems like that we might be trending in the direction of duncan being their next coach uh so he and becky hammond you know as your lead two lead assistants that is not really that extensive of a bench and, and pop you know i mean has been open about times that he doesn't watch as much film as he used to and you know if he's delegating a lot of stuff to people who aren't as experienced you know maybe that is a little bit to do uh, with their defensive troubles as well where are we headed next 
We are headed to Sacramento, where the Sacramento Kings are back from the dead, but before that, we'll get to their stats. They're 7-8, and 5-3 and three since the last 1560. However, they're still 24th in net rating, negative 5.7, 20th in offense, 23rd in defense. 538's current projections give that would put them at 35 wins, which is tied for 11th in the West, and they have an 11% chance of making the playoffs. When De'Aaron Fox sprained his ankle, the Kings were 3-6, and six, though they had won two of their last three because they had that brutal just start of the season, yeah, Luke Walton and everything else to start yeah. own five um but and since deer and fox brandy's ankle they're four and two with wins over the celtics suns blazers in a game lord played in and then the wizards on sunday however it is not all sunshine and rainbows in sacramento because despite that they still have a negative net rating in that four and two span yeah they do part of that is that they were blowing out the suns and then the suns got back into it mm-hmm. late uh and i think that brooklyn game was a little bit closer throughout most of the game and that was that was a disappointing loss but it was on the road and also was to a team that is missing Kerry irving and karis lavert and is actually four and one since both those guys went down uh in that span 24th on offense 13th on defense they had a nice win today against the wizards uh, i thought they defended the wizards extremely well Corey joseph being in the starting lineup like he is definitely a defensive upgrade over what fox was giving them early on and he guarded bradley beal a fair amount of the time Bogdan Bogdanovich looked like he might miss some time with the hamstring. Turned out it was more of a cramp and he was able to play against Washington and looked really good again. I mean, he has been their primary pick and roll threat. They closed that one out with Harrison Barnes at the four and Rashawn Holmes at the five. Holmes has been a revelation playing much better defensively than he did back in his Philly days and certainly even last year as a son. He still can't rebound defensively, but that's one of their struggles but the numbers uh, with him on the floor have been very very good uh coming into tonight they were 22.7 points per 100 possessions better with Holmes on the floor that, than when he was off and uh he has ascended into the starting role deservedly uh, with those kind of numbers even though I I liked Dwayne Dedman much better coming into the season so Bogdanovich is someone will have to do more of a breakdown on part of the reason they started so poorly was Bogdanovich had like a two for 12 and a one for 10 game early on but now that he's being entrusted I mean I did not think that he would be someone that could be a primary pick and roll ball handler uh but he's proved up to that of late uh and then Nemanja Bialica has really helped them uh, with his efficient brand of ball once again this season yeah he has and so Bielitsa was not in the projected starting lineup, but Marvin Bagley getting hurt in game one has opened up that time for him. He's now started. Well, you know what else I think is actually has helped them and him is Trevor Ariza, who is terrible, is missing all this time now with this groin issue. Right. Yeah, that's another another factor here. So Bielitsa started 13 of 14 games and playing 26 minutes a game. And before, this doesn't include today's stuff because it hadn't been factored in yet. 67% true shooting on 16% usage. That's a, a career high in true shooting. Usage rate is similar, you know, on the lower side, but that's what you get with Bielita. And he also has career highs barely in assistant and rebound rates. And he's making 48% of his threes with... 52% of his shots coming from long distance and included in that the 5.83s per 36 is the highest rate of Bielitz's career. But then the other huge factor here is that he's shooting 59% on twos, which is also a career high and seems really unsustainable. Partially because Bielitsa has the lowest rim frequency and free throw attempt rate of his career. So this is basically just all jumpers. 
Yeah. Another thing that's happening at the highest rate of his career is having his life completely ended by LeBron James. Although that was actually a, a valiant effort on the road by the Kings to only lose by two at LA. Blazers, oof, five and 12, two and eight in their last 10, 22nd in net rating, negative 3.1. Dame Lillard missed some time in the last week, returned against Cleveland, did not have a great game against the limited Cavs. They lost that one to Cleveland, even though Kevin Love did not play they did have a nice effort against the box uh, eventually losing by seven but it was competitive towards the end without dame uh that was carmelo's best game he, he's had two bad games and one good one uh since he's uh come back do you have any impressions uh of carmelo since uh, we talked about him last week uh, after the first game uh, not a ton. I mean, the defensive limitations are still really present. And that actually, to me, came to the fore a little bit even more in the Cavs game when they didn't have Hassan Whiteside. He's been missing time with right hip tendinosis. But he looks like he's going to be yeah. back, but it could still affect him. T- tendinosis always scares me more than tendonitis. As the king of lower body injuries, I will defer to you on that. But it, I, I mean, and so, for example, it wasn't at all Scal's fault or anybody else, but Tristan Thompson just beasted on them. And they're, they're just uh, playing Carmelo Anthony at the four means your center is your only help defender and that's a real challenge for any team but especially one who is playing often small at the three and then so it's putting a lot on dame and cj's shoulders defensively like if you get beaten then it's maybe his on white side and if he's not on the four then maybe scal scal's had some high block games for that reason and remember what i was talking about too in the minnesota section harkless aminu those guys had enough size that whether they're digging in whether they're coming over as a help defender like they could actually impact the opposing offense and you know same thing with they're playing this conservative two-on-two style in terms of pick and roll coverage like you got to get a little bit of help from the wings where it's not just such an easy read every time for the ball handler and obviously uh nobody on the team is remotely capable of providing that sort of play at this point in time one other note on Melo, he was was hot shooting in the early going, uh, but adding in the Cleveland game, and this, of course, is not going to be every night, zero freight on threes, so he's down to 31% now in his three games, which, you know, I think he'll be better than 31%, but I think the overall number is getting a little bit more accurate now. What is your completely objective take on how Scal has played, been pressed into service even uh, as a starter of late? I, he's been all right. I, I think that the the idea of Scal for me that was always so interesting was a potentially defensively capable center who then on the offensive end was more of a pick and pop guy, which as a theory, like this is part of why I've been really into Miles Turner for years. And Miles Turner is a way better version of what I hoped Scal would be. But still, he's been reasonably efficient as an offensive player, 60% true shooting on 70 percent usage totally fine with that and his he's been he's third on the team in defensive rating behind zach collins limited time and mario hazonia because just but i think part of that is also because scal's played with the starters and, and everything else so hazonia did too but i think a fair proxy for this and i agree with it is uh jacob goldstein's pipm still has even with that kind of brand of success has scal as the 340th best player out of 449 i think that's about right you know like he's a a fringy rotation player not a like a a a necessarily like even like a fringy starter so you know like i i i think i would continue to roll the dice on players like that but he's another good example of why you don't want to pay a ton for non-elite centers and rashawn holmes is another example of this because the margin between like pretty good and fringy and might end up being pretty good is not that high yeah i thought 
scout really struggled defensively in that new orleans game uh, that yeah that's Mello true debuted in where just a, in any kind of space he just uh, in pick and roll defense just wasn't really able to have an effect uh, just ha- had guys traffic coding him quite a bit talk about phoenix momentarily but first i will tell you about quip uh, Longtime listeners know that i travel quite a bit and i use my quip toothbrush at home but where i really love it is on the road because it's the size of a normal toothbrush most of these electric toothbrushes have this huge battery if you want to travel light it's probably not going to fit very well in your dop kit the quip toothbrush just uses a triple a battery you only have to replace it every three months and they send you a new battery and fresh brush heads floss and toothpaste to your door every three months with their subscription plan but you still get all the benefits of an electric toothbrush which means a two-minute timer you should be brushing for two minutes twice a day every 30 seconds it pulses to remind you to move to a new quadrant of your mouth and they just started now adding floss which is refillable comes with a pre-marked string to help you use exactly the right amount i always end up using way too much or not enough and the shipping of course is free for their subscription plan and the actual toothbrush starts at just $25. So you can join over 3 million healthy mouths and get Quip today. You, if you go to get Quip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P, getquip.com slash capspace, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's getquip.com slash capspace. Quip, the good habits company. And that's getquip.com slash capspace. Don't forget the slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. All right, what are the fundamentals on our old friends, the Phoenix Suns? Phoenix is 8-8. Eight and they are 3-6 and six since the last 15 and 60. Still 12th in net rating, plus 2.4. 12th in offense, 12th in defense, and 538 projects them to win 41 games, which would tie them for 9th in the West and gives them a 42% chance to make the playoffs. And I'm sure there are some, especially those who aren't as connected with the Suns, like, oh yeah, you know, had that hot start, 3-6 and six in the last 15 and 60, probably like, you know, like, oh, you're losing faith. I, I, or like, you know, like this is like regression of the mean or anything like that. Not quite. I, I think that this is fueled in, in no small part by having to push guys further up in the rotation. I mean, Ricky Rubio's missed time due to this back issue. Aaron Baines is missing time as well. They've been good when those guys have been healthy. It's just that they've lost they've lost a few games when they've been well below full strength. I'm, that doesn't concern me. Yeah, with Aaron Baines on the floor, remember he, uh, up until recently, had started all but the opener, plus 7.7 net rating, plus 7.9 net rating with Rubio on the floor, and they're about even with those guys off. With Kaminsky at center, remember Kaminsky is supposed to be this great shooter. No, that's actually Aaron Baines, uh, not Kaminsky. They've really struggled off offensively and they're at a negative six net rating with him at center recall of course that kaminsky was signed really to be their backup power forward and he's now pressed into service as the starting center with both of their centers out with injury baines missing time with what was initially called a hip contusion now it's a strained hip flexor rubio this is never a great sign when he missed time with lower back soreness and then tried to come back only played 16 very difficult minutes in that blowout loss to Sacramento actually getting him out of there was part of why they began coming back in that game and never good to see anything in that posterior chain for Rubio because remember he's had all these hamstring issues he missed most of the 2018 playoffs with that had hamstring issues again last year and now to have a sore lower back very likely that that is 
connected and we'll see when he comes back he tried to come back couldn't and now has missed uh, the last couple uh, again well and and hopefully something that they can a, po- a silver lining to take away from this is elia Kobo has looked pretty good the last couple of games you saw him more against new orleans i saw him in the game today against denver and you know he had young point guards it can take them a little time to figure out a little bit more verve with the ball in his hands this year had some nice passes and was three of four on threes against denver and you know it, it's a young backup point guard i think that that's totally fine and when you consider that he was marginalized in the rotation javon carter who was hitting every who was hitting a ton of shots early we'll see how all that plays out when they have fewer minutes to divvy up but a kobo I, I've liked what I've seen from him so far. Yeah, it, it looks a little bit stronger. It seems to have a, more of a plan. And, you know, worth noting, he was drafted number 31 overall. And Javon Carter, who was drafted right after him, also playing, they're playing those guys more together. Okobo has been coming in before Carter as the backup point guard. And we still haven't seen Ty Jerome yet for this team. That ankle injury must have been pretty darn severe uh, that he suffered a little bit before the regular season began. Uh, John Hollinger and I talked a lot more about the Suns on our pod today. That was our first segment. We talked about Javon Carter as a shooter because he had him in Memphis last year, of course, and got deeper into the sustainability of this sudden start and uh, their playoff odds few observations from their game against new orleans on thursday which was a, a disappointing loss at home new orleans had plenty of guys out as well uh cam johnson has a very wet jumper but he also doesn't do anything else right now and their defense is really starting to fall apart between him kaminsky dario sharich uh, just uh, needs to be more of a system guy when he's playing next to kaminsky he's going to get exposed johnson just has to get stronger like guys anybody just goes right through i mean he's six nine and drew holiday just would go through him for layups like it's tissue pair drew's pretty strong but you know there's a lot of guys like that and he could easily get hunted out they actually went because sharich and kaminsky were disappointing so much they actually went with i guess you could say it was cam johnson at center maybe you would say it was mikhail bridges or, or kelly Oubre. so that uh, and obviously they had booker on the floor as well and i can't remember who the last guy was one of the point guards but that shows uh, granted they're going against a, a new orleans team that wasn't playing a ton of centers either but that shows you that monty williams really did not have much trust in kaminsky at, at this point in time uh devin booker was absolutely powerless to do anything against drew holiday drew holiday is a great great matchup for him uh but he was able to kill anyone else uh, when they were able to get the switch like kendrick williams uh, couldn't deal with booker at all very interesting i mean today in that game against denver booker really struggled he just is not had nearly as high of a usage and you would think that against a denver team they would try to get him the ball a little bit more denver doesn't have like a great individual matchup for him in some of their base units so uh well to me it looked tonight like he was he was trying to distribute a little bit more and when you consider the kind of the structure of their offense they just didn't have they had a lot more dependent guys and and he was really the only guy that could create for other people so i think he put more of the onus in that respect and you know i think that worked out reasonably well you know i i understand why he could have felt that pressure but i mean devin booker just just trying to get a bucket is, is probably a far better offense than that right now though if he made a couple more threes it would look different yeah and this denver defense uh has been pretty good mm-hmm. I, I mean they got to get rubio and Baines back though absolutely uh because 
otherwise they're going to be you know a 30 win level type of team without those two guys and obviously Baines isn't going to shoot it quite as well he won't be as much of a panacea as he's been and then of course uh, they're going to get Aiton back uh he is now 15 games into that suspension so he's got another 10 to go and we'll see what he looks like it's been uh, in all this great start and really the biggest part of this season we haven't even seen it happen yet because it's how is he going to develop specifically on the defensive end obviously that first game against the kings was highly encouraging well one other thing before we move on from the suns that i want to want to mention is just for their schedule you know you talked about there's 10 games 10 games until he's back a big part of that is going to be this four game road trip where they go charlotte orlando new orleans houston and some some challenging opponents there some winnable games and if they can you know depending on who's available if they can win a couple of those pull it out then maybe maybe they can stay a little bit in the mix but it's when you start logging those losses which is the reverse of what they did at the beginning of the season even if you're better than that moving forward it's hard to make them back up so i'm going to be looking for these next two weeks before Aiden gets back to see kind of where they're going to be even if the other part is more important for the long-term future of the franchise all right, Oklahoma City, uh, going to pair them with the Lakers. Uh, I watched almost all of both of the games that those two teams played in the last week or so. Start with Oklahoma City's fundamentals. They've dropped to 5-10 and 10 now. Still 56% chance at the playoffs, so 538 really likes them. Uh, but 2-6 and six in their last eight. Only a negative 0.3 net rating. 21st on offense, that's not a huge surprise. 13th on defense and projected for 43 wins. In part, the issue is that they have seven losses of five points or less already, and that included their game against the Lakers on Friday. Uh, Hamadou Diallo, while guarding LeBron James, got a hyperextension sprain of his right elbow on Friday when he flailed after either getting pushed or flopping, depending on whether you're an OKC or a Lakers fan. I got plenty of both of them in my mentions after the play. Doesn't have a timeline for his return. He actually smacked his elbow into Mike Muscala, which I think is is what actually caused the injury. I thought uh, Terrence Ferguson did a nice job on LeBron when LeBron was facing up. Ferguson's gotten a little bit stronger this year. Now, when LeBron got in the post, they had absolutely no chance to guard. I mean, you look at this roster and who is that going to be? And I mean, there's not a lot of guys who are going to guard LeBron James in the post regardless. But this was just anytime he got down there, they just did it was a layup or a pass out to an open three uh they started the game with uh the ben wallace memorial post up for or i guess in the case of okc it's got to be the kendrick perkins memorial post up uh of stephen adams on javel mcgee and adams killed him and Ad- adams ended up having a great game i thought it was one of the maybe the worst defensive game that i've seen the lakers play the first half was definitely their worst defensive half that i've seen them play lebron was particularly disengaged at a play where someone was coming down in the lane it was uh, Darius Baisley just didn't even bother to challenge him wasn't closing out on shooters uh, the way he has been wasn't crashing into the lane as, as a health defender the way he has been uh I thought early on there's a nice example of KCP running a side pick and roll with JaVale McGee and setting him up for an alley-oop that again I think KCP as a secondary ball handler is not a disaster you know, he did that in Detroit it's not something they've looked to have him do but he can do it at times I know there's a this feeling that he's not a great decision maker but if he has the ball a little bit more uh, and uh, has a little bit of license to freedom it's not those individual decisions don't stand out as much uh getting into the lakers here now uh, obviously as well i thought that for okc stephen adams troubling decline in activity and athleticism despite his excellent offensive game uh defensively just did not look particularly good uh wasn't getting back in transition the lakers started the game with i think four of their first
first five possessions were dunks uh usually adams is a really high effort player there was a play where he was trapping out of the perimeter and then just jogged back into the play and couldn't get back and the other big got a dunk after he was trapping on the pick and roll because he just kind of jogged back into it um well, something I wanted I to thought, ask you, yeah, I, I was I was thinking about this watching, I think it was the first of the two OKC Lakers games, was a player with a lot on the line financially this year is Danilo Gallinari, because whether he can basically get traded to a team that is interested in using his bird rights, and he's had a solid enough year overall, like when I've watched, but I also wonder, given the high salary and everything else, whether he's done enough to inspire a team to really target him as the way of making themselves better and potentially giving up assets or, you know, however that's going to work with OKC. Yeah, Gallo had an interesting game in this one. You know, he's maintained efficiency. He's maintained his getting to the foul line. He never actually, like, finishes a shot at the rim anymore. He just goes in there and flails and gets foul calls. He's becoming one of my least favorite watches for that reason. And uh, there's a play where... I thought, and the OKC announcers thought that he had been called for an offensive foul because first he came off a screen and grabbed the guy who was trailing him to make it look like he was getting grabbed. Then, because he's pretty slow, he starts his drive and pushes off twice with his opposite hand, which is supposed to be an offensive foul. They ended up calling the foul uh, on Steven Adams for a moving screen under the basket on that play he likes to do to try to wall off the help. But, uh, you know, it's all pump fakes. It's flailing. Uh, not a huge fan of his game. He is pretty statuesque defensively, but he did actually have a play where he was able to cut off LeBron and, and draw a charge in an ISO. I thought that Darius Basley looked much better physically than I remembered him being at last year. His uh, time as an intern at New Balance seems to have done him some good. Uh, you know, he looks like a real NBA power forward size type of guy. Like he's able to get up for some dunks very easily. His three point shot was working. He hit a couple of those uh, with that lefty stroke. And EJ, he looks like he belongs out there athletically he doesn't look like an overwhelmed rookie and for him to be in the rotation they didn't don't really have a backup power forward Nerlens Noel has been out that might have been Mascala but it, I think he, he's you know is he a winning NBA player right now maybe not but he uh, looks like he could turn into something for this group and uh you know his two three-pointers are probably more than like any okc draftee has made in a game in a while i guess ferguson is a shooting guard he's made a couple yeah but. ferguson's made a couple uh something yeah. else that these two games provided was the opportunity let's let's call it that to see dennis schroeder and rajon rondo face off which led to also led to one flagrant two but also like i mean that's a matchup that dennis schroeder could actually do pretty well in and there were moments where he did yeah I, I, he was taking the opportunity to blow by rondo one-on-one whenever there was just a, a scrambled help situation behind him he just went in a straight line towards the basket i mean shooter still you understand why teams are so tantalized by him because it could look really good with him he's so quick he had a couple of beautiful fake spin smitties to get to the basket and lay it in again the la lakers help at the rim was not very good in this game they really won it with crazy three-point shooting um yeah then shooter and rondo got double tax after shooter had beaten him a couple of times they were jawing and then rondo if you haven't seen the play it was pretty egregious i thought the referees did a great job of immediately calling the foul and going to the review for a hostile act where shooter was trying to set a screen on rondo and was standing to the side of him and rondo just like lifted his leg sideways and just like brought his thigh like right into the groin of shooter i mean it was it was a ridiculous play and totally intentional and rondo. yeah and definitely not a basketball play like that i remember i was watching it live and just like well there's no other rationale for that you know it was just one of those plays that happened you know like and so that, i'm happy they gave it a flagrant too 
uh chris paul remains a very good defensive player i mean it's just to be a 34 year old point guard and giving the level of effort that he does is really commendable i mean there's uh, one play where he steps in plugs on the roll man and then sprints out to the corner and runs danny green off the line you got to remember chris paul is six foot with like you know not a big wingspan like he's got to cover a lot of ground to get out to bother the shot of someone like danny green so that they actually have to put it on the deck and he's strong he fights he still is ultra competitive i mean and he's he's having a great season he's having a better season than uh the guy he got traded for russell westbrook and you know we thought that this season he might still be better when he was healthy and he hasn't any health concerns yet they're not playing him a ton of minutes because they have these other two point guards speaking of which uh shea looked really good again he had a couple of drives where he stays under control he went into the chest of first ad and then howard and then was able to either to step through and to get such good extension with that near seven foot wingspan and just scoop it around those guys uh he actually went through the chest of howard uh, which was impressive and he's definitely gotten stronger since last year he was a, a little bit willowy and always going to be that body type but if he can improve his core strength he also had a step back three in a two for one situation on quinn cook speaking of cook vogel was playing rondo and cook together that is not very tenable defensively to me and caruso even at the three all those guys together it seems like kind of a weird unit um they also played those guys with kuzma and ad ad especially at the end of the third really struggled defensively he was just kind of waving at the ball he looked tired or that the shoulder was bothering him. he actually had a couple of air balls on wide open jump shots but also hit a couple of threes he had a he had two four point plays in that game and lebron said yeah you know we're trying to get him to shoot more threes and that's important if you're gonna play two bigs together he's got to be able to make uh, that shot as more of a spot-up guy we should also talk about the end of the second of these two games yeah so at at the very end uh chris paul makes a so basically the the thunder have the ball twice in the last 20 seconds of the game down by three points and the first time uh chris paul makes a two then they foul anthony davis anthony davis makes both free throws they call their timeout advance the ball give it to shea and it looked like shea didn't even like consider taking a three like they just went yeah. no they're like okay let's let's go for a two down three points with eight seconds to go and no timeout and no timeout yeah the ball goes through the net with five seconds left and it's like what are you doing uh seth retweeted this uh from uh daryl blackport and i tweeted it as well over the weekend a missive about why the quick two is so bad i mean we've all done our research on it but uh what i thought was most salient from blackport's research was basically your win percentage down three with the ball and down one without the ball is like pretty close to the same you only to be down one without the ball for a given time period you know of 30 seconds or less left in the game as compared to down three with the ball it's you only have a five percent better win expectancy in the down one without the ball situation and so what he concluded is you essentially have to have a three times better chance of making the two than making the three so you're essentially even if you only shoot 25 percent on three in those situations you would have to have a 75 percent chance at a two-point shot to make it worth it and that doesn't even factor in the whole how much time is left in the game are you under 10 seconds do you have any timeouts left etc also doesn't factor in the the idea that you know if you're going for if you have 30 seconds left you can take a three and not have to worry about getting fouled intentionally whereas if there's under 10 seconds left you probably have to deal with that and if you go for the quick two with 30 seconds left odds are I mean, I guess it's a little different if you can actually play defense and get the ball back again. I think we're, we're talking about essentially in shot clock off situations, but 
then the other team can foul you out of taking a three-pointer we saw Patrick Beverly do that the other day to the Celtics for example and you run in the risk of having no timeouts left and just having three seconds left and not being able to advance the ball so yeah so it's not a good strategy um last thing on this game well, actually, yeah, let, let me, before I forget, let's do the Lakers, let's do the Lakers stats. Oh, well, let's wanna... do it at the end. Okay, yeah, that works. It's more, uh, since, since we're talking about the end of the game, Chris Paul yeah. uh, just decided to guard LeBron in a crunch time possession and like got into him and just forced a turnover. I mean, how many times do you see LeBron just like get pressured up and lose the ball? I mean, Chris Paul, again, is still could be a really good defensive player. It's remarkable for a six foot, 34 year old point guard to defend like that uh the lakers tend to do this lebron tends to do this especially when they're up by a little bit just running the time down in what's supposedly a mismatch and then taking a terrible step back from 28 feet going to his left it does at least prevent you from driving to the basket and getting a turnover or missing a layup and then getting stuck in transition against you but there were three possessions in a row where lebron essentially did that and even after getting the mismatch just didn't even try to drive and one-on-one drives you know it's not his forte anymore and he's a Despite his great season, better defense, best uh, assist per game of his career, you know, as a one-on-one scorer, especially when he's not in the post, it is waiting for him a little bit. I, I well, again, I, yeah, go ahead. It happened also in the game against the Grizzlies. Yeah. So that one got close late, and like they basically had a chance to ice it, and LeBron just takes an ISO three, and I was, it, it was a reminder that he just, that's just kind of what he wants to do at this point. Yeah, and it's not good offense. You know, I mean, I think they run it, just run a pick and roll, or, or try to post up. You know, like just clear, how about you just clear out the wing and you just try to back down and force a double team. You know, I mean, you're just that's the shot that the defense will gladly concede but you know i've said that lebron was starting to lose his isolation abilities four years ago that was back when he it looked like his jumper had abandoned him and then he refound his jumper and lo and behold he refound his iso abilities too but uh still obviously uh, has been awesome so far this year and yeah so what are those lakers fundamentals here so we have them the los angeles lakers are 14 and 2 8 and 1 since the last 15 and 60 they are third in net rating plus 7.9 fourth in offense ninth in defense projected for 52 wins which would be fourth in the western conference and they have a 96 percent chance per 538 of making the playoffs that's surprising me it's only 52 wins i guess they are deemed to have a pretty easy schedule and they've also had a lot of close wins uh, as well. yeah i think so. i think the close wins are a big part of it yeah and I'll, i mean it's remarkable how much their defense has fallen off of late uh, now uh, down to ninth uh, as you mentioned and uh rajon rondo has returned <laughs> uh kyle kuzma has returned it's uh certainly part of that uh, well and, and hopefully alex caruso's absence is short I've, I've really liked what i've seen from him moments this year Absolutely. he has a calf he has a calf strain which is a i believe an aggregation or an aggravation of a previous injury it looks like he's going to miss monday's game against the spurs might be a little bit longer and actually that gets into i wanted to mention this it's a really weird quirk of the lakers schedule this year is that i mean we're 16 games in they've been great they've only played three games against teams that you could even make a reasonable argument will be in the top four of their conference two of those were in the first week of the season when they lost to the clippers and beat the jazz the only other one was that game against the raptors two weeks ago which the raptors came back and won really exciting game and it's another week and a half until they have another one of those they play denver and utah back to back both on the road so they've done a great job of handling the teams that they need to handle and that is very important i'm not, I'm not going to discount that especially with the defensive play that they've had but when 
we're talking about a team and what they're going to be, you know, against the best of the best. The answer is like incomplete so far. And I think it'll be good. They've been very good overall this season, but I wanted to make note of the, the quality of teams that they've faced so far and that we have a lot to learn is the more important takeaway there. Not that, oh, they suck or anything like that. It's just, we need to learn a lot more than we know. All right, well, you're about to learn a lot more than you know about the New Orleans Pelicans uh, because Ben Dull, our director of basketball research, has joined us. Uh, ben, what are the Pelicans' fundamentals before we talk about what you've seen from them over the last couple of weeks? They are 6-11, and 11, so 5-5 five and five since the last time. We recorded on them, negative 3.7 net rating. That's 23rd. They are 9th in offense and 27th in defense. Yeah, they project for 41 wins and still playoff odds of 38% better than you might think. And you know, I think 538's odds include Zion coming back. Derek Favors has missed all this time. He's been out uh, with back spasms. So it's been an interesting time to watch them, perhaps one that's not as indicative going forward. What's really stood out uh, for them over these last four games or so that you've watched them? Well, it still probably has to start with Brandon Ingram. Just this stretch also happening to be when he came back into the lineup. The way he's shooting the three is obviously a huge point of discussion. And that's just going to open up so much for them. And with him and Drew Holiday, they will kind of take turns. You can still kind of see some exciting stretches, even though this isn't the full version of their team, even without Derek Favors in the middle, which really hurts. But Ingram at 45% through this this game tonight with the Clippers at 40, 46%. And if those catch and shoots continue to fall, it just, it's just, that's, that's just going to be such a huge win for them. Yeah. And I think every single one of his three pointers coming into tonight was assisted, was a catch and shoot, which that's fine to me, at least from that perspective, because he's spacing the floor for others. That was the biggest reason why I was so concerned about his fit with Zion Williamson and now much of his efficiency obviously is coming from that three-point shot you know I don't know how different he looks to me other than that so far uh, but what else you got to say about him from having watched him these last four since he returned uh, from that injury yeah not to not to push back on the point you made about the threes but like he did hit one in that Utah game which was like the kind of shot that I guess you would really that would really get you excited to or it was it was I think it was off a hit ahead but you kind of had Donovan Mitchell on him and just a quick dribble and hit it right in his face so seeing him take yeah that, you know just... I think what I saw was that all of them have been assisted that, yeah, so, yeah so that that would be consistent with what you're talking about right so but seeing him you know splash someone on someone like that that was huge and obviously they they managed to kind of make that game interesting at the very end and in the Clippers game tonight Ingram had again as they as they sort of made a little bit of a push in the second half against one of these Western Conference contenders he another play that stood out he just got ahead of steam when Kawhi kind of was way out on the floor guarding him so he got that screen way up high and got ahead of steam and going right at Zubac he had a nice going to his left a right-handed scoop around him at Fred and one finish so that's another important play for him too where there are all those plays where he kind of has the guy still on his hip and if that guy isn't caught leaning on him he's he's good at getting that foul when that guy does when the guy doesn't those shots become so hard so if he can actually get chances to get that to work up ahead of steam like that maybe he can kind of explore more of those kind of finishes where he uses his, his length even more what about Jackson Hayes he's been starting because uh, Jill Okafor has been out with the ankle sprain favors with first the knee shortness then the the low back soreness uh, number eight overall pick this year what have you seen from him 
on offense when he's out there, the plan just for him seems to be he's going to catch it on the move and take his two steps and just kind of go try to throw it in the rim, even if he doesn't really have the path there. And defensively, there's not there's not a lot of plays where he's managing to toe that line of if he's dropped back and, and showing face for that guard and then getting back into the play. And whether whether it's been Melly who they kind of have to put him further out on the floor or Hayes where he's dropped back, that's where they really are struggling defensively is just once that once that first pass gets made, they've just had so few times where they actually kind of get reset and recovered and actually force someone to, to beat him out of that versus just getting a shot right away. Yeah, a couple things I've noted about him. His defensive rebounding has sucked. Uh, that was the problem going back to Texas, only 14.1% defensive rebounds. And uh, no, he's not doing the Robin Lopez, Brooke Lopez boxing out. Uh, you know, their rebounding uh, has struggled with him out there. He's obviously very foul prone. One thing that he has shown this ability to do is he actually will get a running start and block shots jumping off a of one foot where he's really able to cover a lot of ground that way. The verticality hasn't looked as good and there's a, a discussion on Thursday where Alvin Gentry was telling him hey you got to keep your hands up you got to keep your hands up like I know it I mean this is they've been telling big men this since time immemorial that I know it feels like you have to bring your hands down to block the shot but no they need to go over you keep your hands up and you know that's something that I think he'll learn in time most bigs do but he's struggling that's part of why his foul rate is, is so high right now yeah the the I I had caught that same thing with Gentry and it's it was it was kind of a moment where it's it's funny to actually hear like in the wired up where the the coach is saying that, but sometimes it really is that simple. And some of these games where he's racking up all these fouls, that just that alone would would make such a big difference for him. What else you seeing for these guys? I think just the with Lonzo being back and he is at uh, six for twenty one from three, and wondering if he goes into the starting lineup. Yeah, I think that, it becomes that's in the last three games. Yeah, and it becomes an interesting question of just what Gentry does with all these guys in the perimeter, with even Josh Hart. Still Still out and in the very interim here, like it's been Nikhil Alexander Walker who hasn't seen as much playing time, and I wonder if that continues versus you know in a way if you want to look at it as kind of older guys versus young with Etwan Moore and Kenrich Williams, and if somebody like Alexander Walker kind of falls out and and then just Lonzo if he just I mean if he makes the shots or not the the fact that he's just so aggressive I mean that that has to be seen as a plus I don't know when we reach the point where you start to really just kind of look at the raw number and and say okay but it, at, at least for now just the fact that he's taking him so aggressively has to be seen as a plus yeah right now uh, shooting 8.23s per 36 minutes and that's comprising about two-thirds of his shots still really just not able to get anything going from two-point range i'm not sure that he ever is going to other than just fast break dunks he's still never ever 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 gets to the foul line he's uh, averaging 1.3 free throw attempts per 36 minutes right now but the 37 percent shooting from three on as you noted these are some pretty difficult attempts he's speeding up the release he's not shooting from the left side of his body as much uh, and certainly the ethos uh, for both he and ingram in new orleans has been to let it fly and i think that's been good for both of them i do think that uh, with zion on his way back it probably would make more sense to keep starting jj reddick who's really come on he had a monster game against phoenix the other day it's hard to take him out of the starting lineup but and i do think if you're when drew holiday is out of the game you maybe need a little bit more ball handling they're throwing the ball to ingram so much i think with holiday and ingram that's good enough on 
in terms of ball handling with your starting group with Zion and Favors um, and to get Reddick shooting out there it will really help and then Lonzo if you're gonna play say Alexander Walker on the second unit we've noted that he's kind of overwhelmed being the only ball handler and creator they started him in that role in that Toronto game and he's just you know is not he's gonna have to be brought along a little more slowly than that sad it is to say because I really enjoy watching him play uh what did you see from Alexander Walker he did at least get some big minutes against Miami and Golden State when everyone was injured uh before kind of falling out of it against Phoenix and uh over the weekend here he, he did show a lot in those those Miami and Golden State games he's getting into like those step back threes he had one one against Portland he was playing in that game too because Lonzo wasn't back but he actually hit one in Miami from the corner on Kelly Olenek uh nice relocation three when Bam had switched on to him just give it up and sprint back out there hit that three had a nice play driving in and just switching hands midair to finish with a nice lefty scoop I think the there is stuff they can get from him on the second unit that they might not necessarily get to your point about Lonzo maybe still being pretty limited from two until guys like really start to guard his three if he he forces that on him and with that second unit then it maybe it becomes more a question of him versus more because if it's Lonzo and him and then one of Drew or Ingram is out there that can probably help Alexander Walker out and then ultimately they might need that if he's going to continue to make some of those plays. Yeah, and more. He's actually been taking more three pointers now, uh, and a little bit more aggressive. And also, like he is just the master of something which is really uh, Gentry's teams the first ones to do this. This screen by the shooting guard in transition, and you know it kind of comes out of that twenty one series where uh, the point guard and, and the shooting guard interact usually on the right side of the floor, coming out of the corner where you do like a little dribble handoff or something to the two man trying to get in the lane or those guys can screen for each other and more will just set a quick screen and then slip usually you're going to switch that in transition and so he'll just slip right to the rim before the switch can take place and usually the help won't even be there and like each one more is just getting like these layups as a role man he gets like two of them again it's awesome and with more would you how much do you look at their situation now and i believe he's he's on contract for next season too i believe how much would you look at that situation now where he's obviously making shots, so he's it's it's not uh, like he's, he he's be actually playing. a free agent after this year. Free agent after this year. But yeah. how much would you look at that as thinking about you do actually just want to keep playing him because maybe, you know, that's if you put package that salary in a trade this season that you'd want someone to see it as just, you know, a positive, something they can actually use and just not, you know, not not a negative, a guy that's not playing. Yeah, I think they just gotta get everyone healthy first for once, you know, before they can even start thinking about that. And they always have so many injuries that I, I mean, we we felt at the start of the year that they had so much insurance and yet still they're totally injured. <laughs> and like, so uh, I can hold on to him for now. And his bird rights could be useful if he wanted to come back as a steady backup shooting guard. Also depends. They're probably going to be over the cap next year with Ingram needing an extension. And he's playing well enough that you imagine that they're going to pay what it takes uh, to keep him around. So I wouldn't anticipate a trade unless they totally fall out of it. But with the West sucking so much, maybe it's going to take a while for that to happen especially you know zion should be back in a couple of weeks here now so i i would predict he ends the season on the team but i, I could i don't feel strongly about that if they fall out of it i could easily see what you're talking about happening yeah and it's not not the biggest front of mind thing but I, I just think that maybe i'm fixating on that too much but i think it is really interesting looking at what we talked about with lonzo and if one and one of drew or ingram are out there and then you start to look at it as okay how do you know how does alexander walker find time and then even josh hart when he gets back yeah too. yeah that's i mean because hart's been missing time with the sprint ankle this 
this whole period that we're talking about and you know hollinger and i've I've talked about this a lot on our pod together the idea that sometimes the front office just needs to trade away the veteran safety net even if that veteran is better in this case you know more might be better than alexander walker they're different players but they're probably going to want to develop him uh, and see whether he can be maybe a starter next to drew holiday and ingram um that's a that's a lot of creation uh but maybe alexander walker would be better as kind of an off-ball guy at this point in time so yeah maybe maybe that's part of why it ends up happening or maybe even gets bought out but again they're gonna have to fall out of it first and he's obviously contributing right now the memphis grizzlies are five and ten not bad four and five in their last nine but their negative 7.8 net rating is 28th in the nba they've had a relatively tough schedule so far and 27th on offense 24th on defense they project for 29 wins which would be 14th in the conference and playoff odds of exactly one percent according to 538 that 27th in offense versus 24th in defense which of those numbers is more surprising to you well, I guess 27th in offense, I thought they'd actually be worse than that. So <laughs> I guess that's a little bit surprising. And 24th in defense, they have personnel. Remember, we didn't know necessarily before the start of the year that Iguodal wasn't going to play at all. You know, like that. That's well, certainly... I, I think I, I think I, pr- I had that priced in. Like that came out in like September. Yeah. And, so and... I, was, I, I think I was like, we found out he wasn't coming to training camp at the start. Of training yeah, that's camp, true. So. That's, yeah, we did yeah. know that part of it. And so, yeah, the, but also not only you know Iguodala not playing but also they haven't like traded him for anything yet or any you know it's it's a zero from his roster spot as well uh yeah I mean I think they're both fairly fairly reasonable for me they have some defensive talent and they have some young guys that'll figure it out you know it's another one of those situations happens every once in a while where they have players who will be better defenders than they necessarily are right now so might look at it later and be like oh they could have done better but no I I think they've done fine Uh, a quick thing that I wanted to talk about briefly because they closed the Lakers game with this configuration is Jenkins has been trying out the front court combination of Brandon Clark and Jaron Jackson, which considering how well, you know, Clark was in several leagues, he's had some real flashes, could be their front court of the future. And they've only played 220, 266 possessions together per cleaning the glass. And it's not a surprise, especially because those groups are a lot with Tyus, because Jaw's doing other, you know, with him, where his minutes are more squared in other ways. It's not a surprise that the Grizzlies have struggled offensively, but it is potentially preliminarily notable that they've struggled so much defensively because that's the entire like selling point really of those two guys together and they have the tools to be a very destructive pairing but one part that i really want to keep my eye on again we're 266 possessions we're not reading we're not saying anything definitive from this but they've gotten murdered on the defensive glass uh 65 9 defensive I mean, that does worry me, though, because that is a major problem of Jackson's going back to college. Right, exactly. And so that's the thing. Like, the defensive overall part of it, you know, like, they've really struggled there. But if they're grabbing 66% of rebounds, opponents are, if you want to think about it the other way, they're grabbing 35%. That's a big problem. Yeah, and they also are fouling a ton, probably after opponent offensive rebounds. Um, Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson both averaging 3.9 fouls per game. Brooks in 27 minutes and Jackson in 27. 6.5 minutes so that's probably been part of why jackson hasn't been able to play that much so far it's been disappointing to only see him at 26.5 minutes a game granted it seems like they're going to kind of be on the atlanta hawks brooklyn nets program for the young team of nobody plays more than 30 minutes that certainly has been the case with jai has been a pretty strict limit jay crowder actually leading the team uh with 31 minutes per game anything else that stood i, I mean that that jackson 
Clark combination, you mentioned there's some switchability there. There's a lot of athleticism. Jackson popping, Clark rolling. Uh, that There's a, a theoretical fit there, and maybe those guys are just young, and the rest of the team is young, and that's why it hasn't looked as good. But yeah, he hasn't popped as much. of The spot-ups have looked good, and he's shooting 39% from three. And certainly there's been an increase in the three-pointers, taking 40% of his shots from downtown now, up from 24% last year. And overall, though, his efficiency is down. He's getting the line a lot less and yeah and his usage is actually down even slightly also he played most of last year with Marc Gasol I thought that Gasol's high low passing ability really helped him to get some easy looks at the rim that's something that they're missing he's not a great role man he's not going to get up for a bunch of alley-oops and generally he's either going to be playing with either Clark or Valanciunas and that guy's going to be the role man with John Ja has a nice ability to get in the air and find great passing angles at the last minute to the role man so uh he is spotting up more that part of his game looks good i'd like him to try and even bomb it more than he has been so offensively i never thought he was gonna be this huge star and i think really focusing more on his spot up game and maybe that pick and pop game which you know he's only has nine possessions as the the pop guy so far this year but having him focus more on that i just don't think he is that dominating force in the post or around the rim except for mismatches but to me i think more troubling has been that i haven't seen those great flashes from him defensively uh, he was supposed to be this amazing shot blocker you know, 0.9 blocks per game that's pretty pedestrian we noted he's following a lot we noted that he's been inadequate defensively on the glass to play center even next to another guy who's in theory a, a good rebounder in clark although clark again is more of an offensive rebounder type than a defensive rebounder type what have you seen from jackson defensively this year danny well what's been a little bit concerning to me and i admit i've watched the grizzlies a fair amount but it's still a small sample size just with the nature of how these how this starts at the beginning of any season is both in jackson's film at michigan state and then last year at memphis it's not so much the wild plays he's had some of those but more the like the the wow reads so those circumstances i I noted like when he was at michigan state that it seemed like he was like always in the right place at the right time when he made moves when he made decisions on defense it really seemed like it was grounded well and maybe it's the team the surrounding new coach all that kind of stuff but i haven't seen as much of that so far this year and actually the times that i have seen grizzlies front court players make really good reads it's been more brandon clark than jaron and i I don't think it's gone considering it's been there before but it is something that i've noticed yeah we haven't seen these like you know him locking guys up on switches right like eric pascal was scoring on him in that warriors game which was a pretty disappointing loss at home for them actually they've played relatively well i would say aside from that and clark i mean i will say this about clark he's got a really nice floater like he i think being able to like really explode gives you a chance to have a pretty good floater i guess russell westbrook never learned that but like Derek rose and jaws is actually looking pretty good although he kind of shoots it more uh, on the way up but clark he gets like that thing is pretty unblockable and he shoots it from pretty close to the foul line all right lakers we already did let's talk clippers at 12 and 5 7 and 3 since the last 15 and 60 on a five game winning streak they swept a five game home stand that included close wins over the celtics which we did for the nba cast and for dunked on last week also a close win at home against the rockets on friday but they are right where they want to be and i think one of the things that's really stood out to me uh, i guess 
guess I should finish up their fundamentals first. 6.2 net rating, sixth in the NBA, eighth on offense, 10th on defense, projecting first in the West at 59 wins. According to 538, they have greater than 99% chance at the playoffs. They just stuck out to me the most is that this has long been a team that didn't shoot that many threes, even with some of the good defenses that they had, even with Gallo as a stretch four, they weren't doing that. Now, all of a sudden, with Paul George, who took a ton of threes last year, they are getting up 40 threes a game in the three games with Kawhi and PG, both in the lineup. I think that is a very encouraging sign so far. Well, and remember that all three of those games that they played with PG and Kawhi have not included Landry Shaman, who could be an important part of their three-point identity granted they have lots of other guys that could take those shots but that has been encouraging I thought that the I didn't watch a ton of the game against the Pels but they looked good in the minutes that I saw and it was it was also different to see this Clippers group facing a less capable opponent because when the Boston game and the Houston game both of which I watched more closely those were against really strong teams and so there were times when they struggled and it's like oh yeah this is how they're going to handle like the quote-unquote average teams in the league is just overwhelming them with their talent and, and in those cases as you said taking a ton of threes and making a lot of them too. Yeah, Kawhi had that big start and obviously the great finish to last season. But his numbers have been down a little bit. I'm interested to see how they evolve. He's taking only 12% of his shots at the rip. That is a very low number. And I think part of that has been because with that starting group that he was out there with for a while, he's got a role man going to the basket. He's been focusing uh, on diving that guy up. It wasn't a group that had a ton of space. Patrick Patterson was in that group for a while. He's also only shooting 30 percent from three coming into tonight uh although his long mid-range game has been pretty good at over 50 percent but he's taking a fair amount of shots uh from there floater range he's been way off as well usually he had great touch there so I, i'm interested to see if that shot mix persists if he can take a few fewer mid-rangers and get to the basket a little bit more now uh, with this group uh, having a little bit more space around him anything that stuck out to you from that houston game well i i think the most important thing that stuck out to me we'll probably talk about in the houston section um with because it involves russell westbrook but i, I mean I, I I liked Kawhi just in, in the key moment late in that game, his confidence just get to his spot and take that shot. You know, th- there is there is this basic question. We've talked about it in various playoff series over the last couple of years, though, incidentally, not as much in some of the Warriors series just because they had the guys and everybody knew it of even against a good defense. Can you get that shot? It's something I've praised. I've praised Kyrie about a lot at various moments in the past. And Kawhi just getting to that mid-ranger can move damn near everybody that I, I think that could end up being a really good fit with Paul George as well, because while I love Paul George, and I mean, had him really high in the MVP rankings last year before he got hurt, having that option be somebody else, I think could be really good for the Clippers overall. Yeah, and I think they're getting more out of Harold defensively, which has uh, been impressive. That's something that I didn't anticipate would be the case. Harold had a career high 34 against the Pels, who uh, eh, don't have the greatest of interior defenses. And, you know, he and Lou Williams are still playing like well into the 30s in terms of their minutes no minutes limits for those guys leonard george those guys uh, i think are are going to be uh, on minutes limit we mentioned how good george's passing looked he had another seven assists against the rockets and again we talked about how having help defenders on the wing can make up for so much and lou williams and and trez looked totally defenseless last year but now you put these guys around them and it, it looks like they might be able to get by with that And if you can get by with those guys in the closing unit i mean i don't know how the hell you stop these guys at the end of game yeah i mean there was that moment i think it was in the uh in the, in the houston game. it might have been boston those games do run together a little bit for me where they had one of lou Tre- one of lou 
Paul George and Kawhi, I think it was often Paul George was the third option. And that's just devastating for defenses because of how hard each of those guys is to defend. But even from a basic personnel perspective, okay, great. You have somebody to defend Kawhi. Well, then Paul George could do something. Or if you do that, then Lou Williams could just pull something out of his, out of his bag of tricks too. It's if they can keep Lou on the floor defensively, it, as you said, it's going to be so hard to stop this team. If you're Doc Rivers, what is your biggest worry right now outside of health? That they are defensively, especially at the center spot, that they're good enough to handle the average regular season team. But if Giannis or LeBron and AD come calling, that they just don't have the horses for that specific type of thing. And the problem is those are the best teams in the league. Yeah, maybe so. The results have been pretty good so far. I mean, obviously, when they played Milwaukee, uh, both Kawhi and PG were out in that game, and they completely handled the Lakers defensively in that first game of the year. All right, let's talk Houston, and we'll pair them with Dallas since uh, they played one another today. Rockets 11 and 6, but have lost three straight after having won seven straight. So seven and three in their last 10. 1.9 net rating is 13th in the NBA. Fifth in offense. Defense is all the way up to 18th after, remember, those first six games. They were basically last. They've also had just some total stinkers defensively, like that game against Dallas, who is just trucking everybody offensively right now, uh, which we'll get to. So maybe there's no shame in that. And that Miami game was pretty rough. Also, perhaps noteworthy that both of those games were early starts on a Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe, maybe notable. Uh, uh, yes. Can, uh, can, can I can I start the Houston section? Oh no, we should do their projections. Uh, so the the Rockets projected five thirty eight fifty two or sorry fifty six wins, which would be second in the West, and they're going to make the playoffs. We already know that. But I want to start with this stat from Russell Westbrook. So if you look at and like on Basketball References page, when you look at so like the advanced stat section, it's comparing with his previous years. And so by the standard of Russell Westbrook, him having a thirty two percent usage rate and a thirty five percent assist percentage seems low because you look at these like the the usage from his MVP or anything like that. So what I did is I basically just threw those current things into the last like decade basically of it. And it's like for last year, the the mo- the comparatively modest usage and assist rate that he had, only five players in the NBA had that last year. Like that's what he's stepping down to at least as of now. It's amazing. Yeah, and there's a hope that he could be more efficient overall not happening and the free throw shooting continues to struggle i don't know whether it's just the this new rule that you can't leave the line in between free throws uh, that's messing with him his jump shot i mean he's now been under 30 percent from three basically every year except his mvp year in the last five and now he's shooting in the low 20s from three at this point he did take that one at the end of the clippers game i thought that one he was open with the amount of time left uh, that was probably actually a decent shot yeah i, I so i'll, I'll note on that i mean i was that was not a game we did together for the for the cast so it would have been interesting how we would have reacted live but for me the issue i had was not necessarily him taking the shot because at a certain juncture like it's wide open and there i think it was like 6.1 or something like that left but 6.1 is enough to drive in and cause a reaction because remember they were only down one it wasn't a circumstance where you have to get something or you know even like the there was carl anthony towns kind of chucked a deep three against phoenix which missed late in that game and 
I, with with Russ, like he's such a dynamic driver. I wonder, you know, I still think it's, you know, as as Seth pointed out on Twitter, you know, just because a guy is a let's call him a thirty percent three point shooter, that was a better than average opportunity because nobody was near him. So even if you go above that, but so like I, it was, it was fine. Like I'm not, I'm yeah. not going to criticize. Also, he got him. it off early enough that with the miss, they, they had a chance for the offensive rebound. Yeah, followed it and brought back. I can't remember what their timeout situation was at that point, but yeah, um, but so so like for me, it was decent. But I do want to note that I think they could have gotten another shot like in that circumstance just because he's so good at that you mentioned Russ being a dynamic driver it does seem like his options are continuing to dwindle now his mid-ranger has not been there so and Houston eschews those anyway he's been taking a few of them which he kind of needs to for his game but guys aren't guarding him that closely on that play he also seems like he goes left pretty much every time now and you know to the point where you might want to try and make him beat you to the right um i think maybe he's just more comfortable pushing off that right leg for whatever reason there's actually a lot of right-handed players who like going left for that reason i'm i'm actually one of but uh and i i just thought it was noteworthy at the start of the fourth quarter harden is out harden actually played 34 of the first 36 minutes in this game against Dallas and they were negative 10 in the two minutes that he was out in the first half uh but Russ like couldn't beat Tim Hardaway Jr. in an ISO and he got in the lane and just couldn't overpower him didn't really have a move doesn't have a floater game and he definitely has his chances to drive straight line against a scrambled defense and that looks pretty good but teams are so used to doing the switching against Houston anyway and a lot of these Houston bench lineups he's not playing with the traditional center next to him and then maybe the defense isn't playing with the traditional center either the hope was he could run some spread pick and roll with these shooters around him but if the other team is just switching him like that's what I'd be doing too I don't know if he can beat switches anymore and with you know no jump shot and not a ton of moves and no floater game you know what is his go-to in those sort of situations he's not a big change of speeds guy he's not a big ball handling guy so uh his i mean it's not lack of skill but even his diminishing level of skill it looks like it might be a problem here well uh, speaking of not yeah. beating switches should we talk about Kristaps porzingis in the same game yeah f- feel free i mean <sighs> It, it's hard. I mean, it's, there are times when I don't want to be super critical of a, of a team that, well, not a team that yeah. had a well, really let's, nice win. Let's be clear before we start here. Let's not put the cart before the horse because the Dallas Mavericks currently have Whew. the best offensive rating of all time, and they have a one eighteen offensive rating with Luka Doncic on the floor. Right, uh, and and they're we will be heaping praise on the Dallas Mavericks in very short yeah. order. But and Porzingis also was plus thirty two, twenty three points. Rick Carlisle yeah. has been raving about his defense lately. So, but it it's this super weird thing, and I mean it. I, I mean going back as somebody who's you could call it some of my formative basketball time was the We Believe Warriors going against Dirk Nowitzki, a another tall dude in that same Dallas Mavericks uniform. That, but Dirk was a much better player to tag switches, and he especially got better later after that moment when Stephen Jackson really did really shut him down more than anybody anticipated. But Porzingis, it's just so weird. He doesn't. He can get because he's so thin in the legs, and he's just. I think it's also the leverage of a center of gravity type stuff. He just gets he gets shoved out of his game by much smaller players, and he doesn't have all the tools in his toolbox yet to counter it in the ways that you would expect, considering he can still get his shot off, he just can't get positioned the same way. 
yeah he can't get position and then once he turns to shoot it he still kind of goes straight up and especially i think too as someone who is coming off of a knee injury when you feel guys kind of get underneath you as you jump you're just always aware of your own landing zone even if it, the guy's not actually in there and so see he turns and he gets like a little forearm or the guy gets his chest on him or something we saw him miss a couple of shots in this rockets game against the, the rockets have you know some stronger players but he's not quick enough to go by anyone if he does put it on the floor he's going to go left most of the time i think if they are going to post him up that he needs to come up with more of a fadeaway game and i remember when i was in high school i was like a buck 60 and i was six foot five and the coaches hated fadeaways they're like no you can't take a fadeaway because you're removing any chance that you're going to get fouled well on a turnaround jumper you're probably not going to get fouled anyway maybe you would in high school but you're not in the nba you're not going to get fouled on that unless you pump fake or you're just uh you know getting the guy in the air first so i think that he should work on a fadeaway and i don't know that he maybe he doesn't have the core strength and the body control to shoot it that way but if you're just trying to turn and shoot it when the guy's body is on you and then he's getting bumped off the shot why not just create the separation yourself with the fadeaway you don't have to fade much but just enough so the guy's body isn't on you and then everything is in your control you're not inducing this variable of getting bumped as you're shooting the ball and that's going to make you miss and you're not worried about your landing zone that way either uh, i mean that's probably too long of a soliloquy on him and he has been getting better defensively after a tough start to the year and frankly just the floor spacing that he provides is so valuable for Doncic and we've seen Doncic now just start killing teams in isos I mean they're you know PJ Tucker Austin Rivers I mean these aren't bad individual defenders and Doncic with his ability to change speeds his strength his ability to get to that step back the floater the way he'll pass guys open if there's any kind of help and then with Porzingis out in the perimeter even if you're going to put a smaller player on him you leave him for a second he'll just shoot that spot up three and he's shooting very well in those spot up threes with that high release point at seven three even if Porzingis isn't going to be doing anything in individual offense maybe they could bring off some screens or something i still contend that he's been a very very valuable player and probably an underrated i mean luca deserves a ton of credit for getting in better shape and increasing his quickness and he's an elite stop start athlete i mean he's, he's he reminds me of james hart the guy that he played against tonight but i do think porzingis has really had more of an effect just due to his gravity even if you know he's going to kind of be a better shooting brooke lopez that's still really really valuable um and you know he's got some ability to roll to the rim he's got a few dunks you know he, he can uh do some pick and pop as well maybe more so than lopez can they, they they've got that option porzingis was always gonna be minimized against houston because they switched so much uh so he wouldn't have that pick and pop available but uh, i don't know i i think it's uh, he's he's not like you know looking like a superstar porzingis but he's looking like a very very valuable player no doubt and and i think much part of part of why i wanted to talk about that a little bit is because thanks to luca and everything else that's going on with this team i think dallas is in a different conversation than they were at the start of the year and now smaller deficiencies become more important because sure I'm thinking of them as a playoff team, potentially a team, if things work out, that could be competitive in the first round, maybe even win a series, depending on who they face. And so then the questions about Porzingis become different. If it's happy to get in, win 44 games or whatever it is, okay, you know, then then, then that's something else. But if Doncic is an MVP caliber player and he has played at that level so far this year, then everything gets reevaluated. Everything gets recalibrated because that's how this works. And now it's, you know, it, it and it happens at, for different players at different times but i and that's something that i've been thinking about with a little bit with porzingis and i mean some of that is just the incandescent brilliance of, of luca absolutely 
dominant. I mean, well, I think if, if, when we do awards, we'll be talking about Luca in some very, in some very yeah, high things. Yeah, but, we can save the some of his stats uh, for then. That's uh, tentatively we're playing that to be our next episode. I would be remiss in not mentioning Tim Hardaway Jr.'s last three games. Seth Curry got sick and he got wally pipped by tim hardaway jr who actually led the team in minutes and wasn't terrible defensively against houston he had 31 points i mean he's just been shooting the lights out uh has a little bit more versatile of a jump shot than curry and now that he's in the starting lineup and being asked to have more of a spot up role uh it seems like he's we'll see if he keeps shooting the ball like this he's 5 11 on threes tonight last thing i want to talk about from for both these teams and this happened in the clippers game as well is teams are just starting this straight double team of Harden now and you know Houston famously doesn't really run many plays it's just Harden gonna either call for a screen or not uh but it's a very basic formula and Harden was really rushing his three-pointer in this game but he was awesome from two-point range I don't know if he has the energy to shoot a lot of twos and, and really get to the room he's two of 15 from three and he was nine for nine on twos in this game uh 32 points 11 assists but they're basically just sending a second defender at him whenever he tries to go into his blow you to sleep iso run the clock down step back game and i thought that houston did a pretty darn good job of carving it up you know it wasn't necessarily their offense they've put up a buck 23 in this game uh that really caused problems for them harden makes the right pass they've started to develop some counters where the guy if the double team comes from the wing towards the top then that guy just cuts right to the free throw line so he really has the angle on a four on three um when Harden is on the wing, it gets a little bit more difficult. Then he's got to hit the guy rolling in the basket. He had a couple of turnovers, miscommunications with House in that situation. Um, they also tried something where when the double team came, they just had Russell Westbrook sprint up to the top of the key and his man can't really follow him because you got to zone up behind the double team. And then they let Westbrook make the play four on three. That looked pretty good. So I thought they attacked that fine, at least against Dallas. You know, the Clippers have a little more range. Uh, yeah, and, and Denver actually did a pretty good job of that but again i i think that giving houston enough time you know the entire rest of the season to adjust to that kind of a basic strategy they'll be totally well, fine. well and denver was doing it more in concert with a pick and roll right like Correct. they weren't just yeah straight up running it was more opportunity based rather than rigid yeah, yeah that's true yeah um yeah that was that was an interesting game that houston denver game because houston has kind of been their kryptonite that was the first of their three straight losses um dallas before that game uh had two total blowouts of golden state without Draymond Green and Cleveland their game against Cleveland was the most efficient game 151 offensive rank of any team in five years and and we never did Dallas's fundamentals so we should go through them yeah, 11 and good. 5 7 and 3 since the last 15 and 60 second in net rating at plus 8.7 First in offense, 16th in defense, 538 projects them to win 50 games, which would be sixth in the West, gives them a 91% chance of making the playoffs. All right, let's get to Golden State here. Let's make this quick. Uh, the Warriors are 3-14. and 14. They're 1-9 and nine since the last 15-60. Dead last in net rating. 25th in offense. Dead last in defense. 538 projects them to win 31 games, which would be 13th in the West, and gives them a 2% chance of making the playoffs, which is way too strong. <laughs> but... Um, a, a couple of injury notes. They've had a, a they've been the walking wounded basically this entire season. Kavon Looney, Draymond Green, and and Al, Alan Smilegeach are all close to coming back. Two of those significantly more impactful than the third, but that will also and it sounds like D'Angelo Russell is going to miss at least another week. I think it's going to be a little bit longer than that, especially because they have all the reason in the world to be judicious with 
basically every single injured key player for them. And also, I mean, that allows D'Angelo Russell's current kind of hot streak to speak for itself, at least for a little while longer. Yeah, you wanted to take a look at what he had done and he had that ankle injury then looked really good after returning from that and then uh had a rough game against the celtics punctuated by that thumb injury that now has him out uh, for some time but will he be able to keep up that type of level that he showed in those four games uh, before he got hurt again uh, i i think i think elements of it are fairly repeatable uh something that i i wanted to look into with russell is that and this is a stat that you could check a basketball reference is that that you could sh- check average shot distance and so for russell this year and remember he is not great at driving to the driving to the rim and getting to the bat again getting to the free throw line so this is not off of like some sort of rarefied air this is still the furthest average shot of d'angelo russell's career and that is not because russell was taking significantly more threes in fact he's not taking more threes at all he's taking 21 percent of his shots from 10 to 16 feet and then 18 percent are longer twos both of which he's making at higher rates than his career average so that part of it i don't think i think it's sustainable that he could maybe be better than he has been but like for example 61 percent on long twos versus 41 percent career there's just regression of the mean that basically has to happen there yeah but now now one of the questions about him last year was you know shooting about 45 percent on those type of shots was that something that was an outlier and at least the fact that he's improved on that so far he may bounce back to that but this is at least an indicator that what he did last year is closer to what he actually yes and i think that's an important point and but then the other the other really interesting question with russell and again small sample size theater here is that his free throw attempt rate has gone up pretty significantly so before this year the most he'd ever attempted per 36 minutes was 3.8 free throws he's all the way up to 6.7 per 36 so far and as a 76 percent free throw shooter that makes a huge difference you know getting to the line twice as much and i think that you know he could be especially he could be higher than previous years like i could see a career high but not this kind of a career high so then if you factor all those things in together he has been doing like more intentional he has he has but yeah it's definitely not on like getting to the rim it's all no you know kind of futzing around on the pick and roll the guy shooting fouls that kind of stuff you know feels some pressure throws some crap up but you know more of like the more of like the chris paul type stuff rather than the right um yeah maybe spencer dinwiddie type stuff let's call it that yeah not quite yeah not well dinwiddie gets all the way to the basket but yeah not quite as annoying as chris paul but you know that kind of stuff where you're just drawing contact as you're dribbling around in the pick and roll that kind of stuff so so if we're talking about repeatability i think his usage is going to keep up at least until steph curry gets back they're just even with draymond green when he returns there just aren't that many people who can generate shots on the warriors especially for themselves so i think russell's going to get a lot of that and my instinct on on efficiency is that it will be between here and his previous career high so this is ridiculous and part of why you and i've been lower on him d'angelo russell's career high in true shooting is 53 percent and he's i think 58 right now it wouldn't surprise me at all if he sets a career high there and it could be somewhere in the 55 56 range but being where it is right now that feels a little bit unsustainable so i think he'll be i think he'll he'll do pretty well statistically this year but it'll be more in line with the 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 understanding of who he is as a player rather than a fundamental transformation 
Denver, 12-3, and 7-1. They've had a number of close wins over good teams, but they have uh, been wins. 5.4 net rating, eighth in the NBA. Eh, better than they were last year, though. I think they were like four last year. 16th in offense, that's actually trending upward a bit. Fourth in defense, that's definitely trending upward. Projecting to tie last year's 54 wins uh, by 538, which would be third in the West. Although, remember, last year they had the point differential of a 51-win team when they had the 54 wins and 98% chance of the playoffs you watched some of their game against the Celtics on Friday what stood out to you there I thought they defended well especially in the early going Boston was just was not getting good shots and and just like as I, I was critical in last week's 1560 that Boston wasn't doing enough against the Warriors I think Boston wasn't doing enough against the Nuggets either but they were they were doing a nice job kind of getting them into into mid-rangers yeah. and, and I, 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 like I mean that. that's like that's two very good offenses in Houston and Boston that they absolutely really shut down yeah and and so I, I thought they looked good there Denver is benefiting from some material opponent shooting luck you know they're tied with Miami for the worst opponent three-point shooting percentage i don't expect that to continue just like i wouldn't yeah. for anybody else although also, they also were that last year too yeah I mean, that, and they're also but they're also lowest opponent shooting percentage from mid-range so you know yeah. you, you don't expect that to continue too yeah and, no i mean that's that is a very low number and, yeah, 34.4% um, for mid-range. Like, that's shockingly low. Yeah, and that's floaters and uh, long two-point jumpers. Yeah, so, yeah, you expect that to... And, and teams are doing pretty well in the re, in the restricted area. You know, not not insane, but getting there. And I like to look at, you know, that, those as being pretty prone to regression. And Denver also, when you look kind of along those lines, they're giving up very few mid-range shots. They're giving up a little bit more at the rim than you'd like and a little bit more from three than you like. So generally, you would... You would think that that would end up rearing against them in terms of opponent effective field goal percentage where they're third in it right now in the league. Yeah, and, it, and in fact, that metric you mentioned from cleaning the glass location e field goal percentage just based on where they're giving their shots up. They are 22nd in the NBA in that metric, but as you mentioned, third in actual e field goal percentage. Um, Paul Millsap has been absolutely key to what they're doing, though. Plus 16.8 net rating with him on the floor. Their starting lineup of with will barton at the three Millsap at the four is plus 17.9 per 100 interestingly when they went to tory craig for a couple of games they were terrible uh and then with Millsap off the floor negative 10.9 net rating so that's uh that is quite the disparity and he's he's been a, a bellwether for them in a lot of ways and you remember before he got there their offense was awesome and but also just an, an atrocious defense and then that first year that he was there he had that wrist issue but they were able to defend when he was on the floor and they couldn't when he was off the floor and now last year there's been a pretty big disparity and again this year i mean he is just even at his age a very good defensive player but the shooting even with him shooting it pretty well he still doesn't get guarded a lot their offense shoots a ton of mid-rangers i think that they are like third in the nba in percentage of shots for mid-range uh also an interesting stat that i'm not sure if it means anything in all but three of their games their defense has had a 102.6 or below defensive rating which obviously would be you know we're talking very high levels you know top five level of defense in all but three games and those three three games were their three losses in those three games they had a 118.5 or above defensive rating so they basically have no games 
between a 118 and a 102 defensive rating this season that those three teams by the way atlanta new orleans and dallas all perhaps noteworthy for playing pretty fast having a lot of spread pick and roll uh also encouraging in some ways is they've already won three games when they had an offensive rating below 100 i mean that's the type of thing where you probably have like you know a 15 percent win percentage just to overall if you're going to be below a maybe even lower than that i don't have the exact numbers in front of me but you know it's not good usually when you have below a 100 offensive rating in today's uh, day and age um you want to talk a little bit about what you've seen from michael porter jr who's you know been on the fringes of the rotation so far yeah he has been so porter jr to the frustration of nuggets fans got four dnps to start the season and since then he's played in 10 of 11 games he only missed the houston one and he's averaging about nine minutes a game so you don't want to get too much into like the counting stats because when a guy's playing nine minutes a game it's hard to calibrate um but not counting in today's game where the only shot he made was off a really nice pass from Jokic, porter jr 49% true shooting on 22% usage. And he notably, I think he hasn't had any dominant type of like play type yet. Some of it is is usage, but really there's, he has no more than seven used possessions in any one of Synergy's categories. And he has five to seven in five different ones, transition, coming off screen, spot ups, cuts and offensive rebounds. Some of that is the structure of Denver's offense, just because the way they use guys off ball can kind of cut in different categories, unlike a lot of other teams where it's a little bit more stagnant. But I, I think that some of the tools, you know, offensively have, have looked there. I'm still a little bit, I'm still not all the way there on his jump shot. I'm going back to how great he was at the hoop summit. Still need to see a little bit more there. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I've just been interested in him so far. And the, the idea of him taking minutes is another kind of potential storyline in Denver. Though Malik Beasley played 11 minutes in their win tonight over the Phoenix Suns, Porter Jr., Wancho, and Tory Craig have largely been taking Malik Beasley's minutes over the last couple weeks. Yeah, maybe Beasley should have taken that extension when he got offered like $10 million a year. Uh, yeah, Porter Jr., I'm not sure what he is other than taking a dribble or two and pulling up for a mid-ranger. And, you know, he's not a defensive player at this point in time. I thought he, he's giving better effort than, you know, he has at times in the past. He, he's learning how to play. I think it's good that they're getting him minutes, but he still doesn't have the same pop that I remember him having back in high school that really made you think like this guy could be an unstoppable score. You know, he seems like kind of a one trick pony offensively it's a pretty decent trick and if he can extend his range out to three and make those type of shots three pointers with at 610 and hit him at a good rate then you know maybe he does become a valuable player I, I think him not being in the rotation in the playoffs unless they have injuries is you know a pretty easy call though ultimately yeah unless he gets significantly better more reliable from this juncture especially because they have other options at least if we're thinking of Porter Jr. as a four which I, I think we probably are all right, well, that'll do it for today. Anything that you want to talk about? You did that Real Gym Radio with Ethan, which uh, I haven't listened to yet, but I'm looking forward to it. I'll probably listen to that on the way to the game tomorrow. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, we, we went through uh, a couple of different kind of things that are d- the NBA is dealing with right now in terms of load management and ratings and everything like that, but also talked about takeaways from the season so far. And he's been doing a little bit of draft work, so that was fun. So we talked about his interpretation, his reads, early reads on some of these guys in the class. Yeah, and Hollinger and Duncan came out yesterday as you listen to this. The NBA proposed some new, some would even say radical modifications to the schedule. Danny and I probably won't talk about that since we got to do awards tomorrow, but John and I spent a good 20 minutes uh, on that if you want to hear my and his thoughts, uh, especially as, as a former executive on that. And we got into a bunch of other interesting stuff as well about player development, how to use the G League, how player development staffs be improved. I bounced a bunch of my crazy ideas 
ideas off and it was a it was a fun time so we will talk to y'all tomorrow nice long one here we'll have a nice long one for the awards those will be our only two due to the thanksgiving holiday this week but we'll probably get you a good you know at least three hours of content between these two shows so we'll talk to y'all later this week till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.